Out of the pen, onto the bound. It's the second hour of Sports Talk. Evan Kahn joins us now. I'm Scott Beatty. Welcome in as we make our way to 6 o'clock on this fun Thursday. Tomorrow, funky Friday, but today's Thursday. Despite what my brain was telling me earlier, today is Thursday. There's still another day in this week. We're here to help you get through it. Hope you're doing well. Good to see you, sir. Are you gearing up here for Field of Dreams, Cubs and Reds? Yes, sir. I didn't was not prepared for it to be at 6 o'clock, so we're going to have to scoot on out of here as soon as the show is over so that we can get back for it. But, yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully we get to watch Kevin Costner be awkward together here during the pregame, and then we'll see if the Reds and the Cubs can put on any sort of a show similar to what the Yankees and the White Sox did last year. Be difficult to match. Joey Votto, always good for a tweet, has <laughs> said that I'm on the trip from New York to Iowa, picked up a ball player looking for a ride, Says his name is Archie Graham. <laughs> Not sure if he'll get in the game tonight. Keeps rattling on about winking at the pitcher. <laughs> he's been he's been hitting the Twitter hard here the last couple of days. He was what was he the one yesterday that said what happens at the Field of Dreams stays at the Field of Dreams. What, what happens in dry or what is <laughs> Dyersville? It? Dyersville stays in Dyersville. Yeah, <laughs> they call it Sin City apparently. <laughs> I was there this summer. I'm not sure it's quite on a Vegas level vibe. <laughs> Uh, but there's plenty happening there at the family diner. I, I experienced it myself. Very good chicken melt <laughs> in Dyersville, yeah, Iowa. That's not a sin. <laughs> no, that's not a sin. It's just, well, I don't know. Maybe to some it is. <laughs> Maybe you're not supposed to melt your cheese in some ways of looking at things. I don't know. I'm reaching here. But anyway, welcome <laughs> into the program. Coming up, we will continue a tour of the Big Ten, and we'll make a stop in Lincoln, Nebraska, and talk with Sean Callahan from Husker Online. Kansas City gets a series win over the White Sox today, 5-3 the final. I'll grant you this. Zach Granke's a good pitcher. So still in C, so. And the difference, though, in the end was bullpens mm-hmm. and whatnot and kansas city playing with some energy and the white Sox. well according to their starting pitcher johnny cueto or not playing with some fire <laughs> tony la Russa doesn't necessarily agree with that perspective take you, you be the judge the cardinals are uh battling in colorado they're down to their last outs down eight five that one going to the top of the ninth. So that's what's some of the hap, hap, haps in baseball. A lot of fun watching what's happening with Field of Dreams on the social media. you got Wilson Contreras walking through cornfields. <laughs> you got got uh, Fran Mil Reyes getting pictures with Marcus Strowman. And uh, you, you've got announcers in old-timey wardrobes. <laughs> so I think they did that last year as well. Um, so, so yeah, on his arms. I don't know Leather for whatever straps. reason back back in the day you got to keep the guns contained. You know <laughs> they've got straps around you've the biceps. <laughs> were you were you the one that was saying that uh, not your favorite baseball movie, Field of Dreams? Probably not. It's a good one. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd put it as my favorite. Um, Sandlot, Bull Durham, probably come to mind first, but. Field of Dreams is up there. You know what I loved? I was Allie uh, hasn't watched it. Early in my baseball travails, um, on a bus with a minor league team, and they're playing major league on the on the bus video, and they're laughing it up. They loved it, and I thought, oh, this would be offensive to anybody like on the inside. No, they think it's a hilarious movie too. I think it's kind of like 
for those of us in the biz enjoying Anchorman as much as anybody else, <laughs> maybe even more. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. And, and yeah, I mean, you, you talk about all the, the pictures being taken and, and it sounds like all the players are really enjoying the moment themselves as well, especially in the middle of the grind. Uh, you know, we're here in the middle of August, both teams under 500, not a whole lot to play for, but only two other teams have gotten to do this. So uh, for, for the Cubs and the Reds players getting to, to take this in, including a, a Danville native and they're adding a 27th man to the roster so that each team gets a, another guy to to take it all in should be should be a fun night you're referring to chucky robinson the yeah. danville product southern miss alum and was uh, became a pro back in 2015 if i recall correctly i don't think he was drafted i think he was signed and now finally as a catcher getting a chance yeah. in the big leagues so always a good story and i know the guys in the news gazette sports room have been uh, covering that hard but this feels for these two teams it's kind of like a bowl game yeah in the same way that a bowl game doesn't really <laughs> doesn't, mean much doesn't change much but, but you're playing hard it's fun to go you get some swag with it you get a, a, a trip to iowa i don't know if there's any bowl games in iowa but given no. given the circumstances they usually leave the state if they're in a bowl game <laughs> yeah, this is this is a cool time to go to iowa maybe the the only cool place in iowa but yeah, it's it's not exhibition, but it kind of feels exhibition-y. And um, no Joe Buck on the call. I don't even know who's doing the game tonight. But I didn't really, really well, he's well, not with yeah, Fox that's right. Anymore. Bye bye. Didn't didn't really put that together, so I don't know if Joe Davis flew out there for it. But um, you know what? I did see a picture of him on social media doing something from that porch. So no, I assume that he is makes sense. He is on the call. Uh, what else do we have to get to today? As we mentioned last hour, Tom Izzo gets a new contract, his rollover contract, Spartan for life. Uh, good for him. Total value with uh, endorsements and fringe benefits and all that is north of $6 million. Doesn't that's, even come close to what Mel Tucker's making. That's kind of like the contract Bill Self got, right? Didn't he get one of those revolving contracts? Yep. I was trying to think who else had one of those. So, yep. yeah, uh, un unless there's a major cause, and even if there were a major cause, I don't know if Tom Izzo's ever leaving Michigan State, if it, it – other than by his own decision and for all the talk you you see you know Roy Williams dip out when, when you thought he had a, a couple years left and just some rumblings that some some older coaches aren't really taken to the new college basketball and, and all of that I think Izzo signed like two top 30 prospects for next year's class and they're in on a, a couple more as well so I, I don't think he's slowing down or planning to quit anytime soon yeah yeah he is uh, 666 career wins maybe for that reason alone got to make sure he has an opportunity to get north of that <laughs> uh we heard a little bit from brett bielma today as they rack up wrapped up practice number 11 for illinois football kevin kane outside linebacking coach also weighed in on about the halfway mark here through camp this time of year, it's kind of the fun time. It's it's Groundhog Day, but at the same time, it's we're, we're building this team. The team's building their chemistry. Uh, you're figuring out who are those next pieces. To kind of you have an idea of who your guys are that are going to help you out, and then and then who's going to be those subtle surprises along the way. So it's uh, as we get closer and closer, you know, school's about to start. Guys are starting to look out. People are showing up in town, and just got to keep their focus for another week or so. And 
and then uh, and then we get going into the Wyoming prep. How much? Do, maybe the players don't like it, but how much do you like training camp as a coach? You know, oh shoot, football, man, hands on. And- uh, it's fun. It's training camp is fun. I remember vividly from as being a third grader with tryouts, like like despising August, like the month of August, and then two a days and everything else. And now I'm the coach that's that's running them. So I've learned to, to adapt and really enjoy it in the preparation process and. And, uh, you know, this is like a mental test for these guys and for us coaches, too. You know, this is, it's a long month and and, uh, you know, it's impre- it prepares you for the, the season ahead, you know, so. It's been important for Alec over the last year to get adapted to what you guys are doing. Just what you said, adapting it, you know, so th- this is really his first fall camp. You know, he went through a covid fall camp and last year he, he was with us a little bit and then not with us. So he's learning how to, to, to take care of his body and get it prepared to, to build a routine to get him ready for the season. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has natural ability. He's, a, he's just a natural football player. Uh, and it's been great to kind of see him develop into a, a guy that we're going to count on this fall. Kevin Kane, <laughs> they're talking for not Illinois. Kevin Kane. No, you're not laughing at Kevin Kane. Stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> I really got to get to the eye doctor here before season starts. Field of Dreams, uh, this production never ceases to amaze, that's for sure. Uh, oh, thank goodness they didn't invite pete rose either good get johnny bench on that. that's who that was johnny bench yeah. is is in the james Jer- earl jones outfit for <laughs> for field of dreams <laughs> nice touch <laughs> yep. all right we're off and running we're going to give away some socks tickets here coming up for saturday night's ball game got a four pack for you thanks to espn hard rock casino white Sox radio network so stay tuned for that on the other side of the break as well sean callahan husker online get a preview of illinois football's october 29th opponents You've got Sports Talk here on News Talk 1400, 93.9 FM. We've been taking a whip around the Big Ten to check in on Illinois football's upcoming opponents here before the season starts. We talk now with our friend Sean Callahan covering Nebraska for Husker Online. Sean, welcome back to the program, my friend. It's good to have you on as always. Hey, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to uh, heading over to Ireland here. It's a game that should have been Illinois a year ago in Ireland. <laughs> yep, and that would have been just really cool. But Illinois and Nebraska are still getting Week 0 games. Evan here doesn't like this term, <laughs> Week 0, but that's another story we'll get into another time. How is the preparation and the buildup for the Huskers to play a Big Ten game against Northwestern over there in Ireland? Well, they've gotten 12 practices in. Um, they've got a whole different approach this fall camp. Um, they're only doing three days in a row of practice, and they take a day off every fourth day. So they've done four cycles of three here um, over the course of camp, and they'll scrimmage here on Sunday. That'll be their final scrimmage before they begin Northwestern installation. Um, but there's a lot of optimism, a lot of interest. I think the biggest thing, when you look at this Nebraska team, they lost a lot of guys from a year ago. Um, you can go on both sides of the ball, but they've added a lot. I think the biggest thing that leaves people optimistic is the schedule. Um, Nebraska will be a double-digit favorite in their first three games. Um, then they have Oklahoma coming to Lincoln, and they go out to Rutgers uh, for a week or for a Friday night game. And you know, so they, they've got a, a very, very manageable open, which has not been the case for the Huskers. They had to play Ohio State six years in a row. Last year they played 
eight opponents that won nine or more games on their schedule, which is, uh, I believe, the second toughest schedule in college football, according to Phil Stills magazine that just came out. Um, so I think the ma- the schedule really ma- matters, and Nebraska has a favorable draw, at least for their first nine games, um, to kind of get things figured out. Does the optimism feel different as well with some of the new coaches under Scott Frost, particularly Mark Whipple on the OC side? Yeah, it's a whole different deal because Scott Frost has literally called the plays and been heavily involved in the offense ever since he's been coaching um, at the uh, Power 5 level. Going back to his time at Oregon, he was heavily involved with Chip Kelly before he took over play calling for the Ducks, and he called plays as a head coach at UCF, went undefeated that year, and and then obviously he's done it the last four in Nebraska. He brought in Mark Whipple because I think he realized, look, this is a different conference, it's a different job, it's a lot harder, and he, I think some of the areas of the program that needs a head coach's attention to detail may have slipped. Um, so now he's got a trusted mind in Mark Whipple, who, who orchestrated one of the best offenses in college football last year at Pitt, here now, running the show. He's a true pro, a former NFL guy. He's coached Pro Bowls and Coach Roethlisberger and other ones in the pros. Um, so he brings a lot of knowledge, a lot of, and I think they can marry some of that to what they've already done here um, but I, I've been impressed with Mark Whipple and, and kind of what he's brought. And, and you know, they've, they've added three new quarterbacks to the roster. Um, two of them will be listed one and two on the depth chart, Casey Thompson and Chubba Purdy, uh, both transfers from Texas and Florida State. So it's going to be a much different-looking Nebraska team than we've seen the last four years. Scott Beatty and Evan Kahn with you here on Sports Talk. We're visiting with Sean Callahan from Husker Online. Hey, Sean, this is Evan. You talk about all this optimism, not not usually something you expect after a 3-9 and nine season and all the turnover on, on offense as far as the coaches and the players, but uh, how much of that is tied to Casey Thompson coming in versus Adrian Martinez, who came in with a, a lot of hype and served as the, the four-year starter, but now he's gone. So what have you seen in, in Casey, and, and what – did, did Adrian Martinez leave behind it as far as a legacy at Nebraska? Well, yeah, first, optimism really goes back to the way the year ended last year. They, they lost all nine games by single digits, eight of those games by a touchdown or less. They had the lead on Ohio State and Michigan in the fourth quarter. I mean, they, they were that close to winning some of these games. They had Michigan State beat. Michigan State didn't have a single first down in the second half of the game. Not one first down, and they lost that game. I mean, so you, you go down the line, it was kind of those once-in-a-hundred-years type seasons, the way these games unfolded, and they're hoping the changes can can kind of get them over the hump. I think this defense is set. They've got a really good group on defense. They've upped the teams as much as you can over one year. They added an FCS All-American punter, Brian Buschini. He was the FCS punter of the year. They brought in Timmy Bleakrod from Furman, a very accomplished FCS kicker. And then they've got now uh, multiple guys that can return kicks and punts. So they should really improve in that area, which killed them a year ago. But Casey Thompson, I think, is a pro. He's been around. Uh, He started 10 games last year for Texas. Um, He's played a lot of football, understands the game, understands the spotlight growing up as an Oklahoma Sooner legacy than going to play for Texas. He's been around big college football his whole life. So I think Casey understands what he's walking into, and that's part of the battle in Nebraska. you know, there's just, there's 50 media members that practice every day here. I mean, it's just a different type of spotlight on this program 
Um, and it almost freaks people out. They're like, how the hell are this many people covering this football team, number one, after a 3-9 season, and number one, two, in the smallest populated state in the Big Ten Conference? Well, with all that pressure and the changes as well, is this finally the make-or-break year for, for Scott Frost out there in Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, the over-under wins are at 7.5. I mean, they've, they've got to get in that neighborhood, I think, for this season to be considered successful. Um, I don't see, like, 6-6 six and six really doing it for him. I mean, they've got to, I think, get in that 7-9 to nine win range for him. And it's got to look good. It's got to look promising. Um, sometimes it's not as simple as you got to win this many games to keep your job. I think it's the overall feel of the program. You go back to Frost's first year, they were 4-2 and two over their final six games on the schedule, and there was just a feel at that point. I mean, Illinois came in, and they got drilled by Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska beat a Michigan State team in Lincoln. Uh, they, they took Ohio State to the fourth quarter that year. Ohio State won the Big Ten, and they had Iowa um, on the ropes, and it could, took a game-winning field goal to beat them. And at that point, you're like, wow, they, they had a rough first year, 4-8 and eight under Frost, but the final six, they were 4-2, and two, and it felt like it was heading in a good direction. But, you know, it just hasn't had that feel. I think last year there was a feel that they're not that far off. I mean, they physically stay with anyone they play. They just – the details and the small things are the difference. And when you play games in this league where the point spread is three to seven points either direction every Saturday – one or two things matter in those games. And, and and I think that's the biggest thing about this conference. There's not much separation after you get from Ohio State um, and maybe even Michigan. But I think the other 12 teams, you know, it's one or two little details that make the difference. And Nebraska, unfortunately, has been really bad in that area. Sean Callahan's here with us on Sports Talk. He covers Nebraska for Husker Online. I want to go back for just a moment, Sean, if you would, to the opener last year in which Illinois beat Nebraska, and Scott Frost's post-game comments included uh, remarks about being surprised at how Illinois came out on defense under then-new defensive coordinator Ryan Walters. Uh, how did how did that go over in Lincoln, and uh, can we blame Scott Frost for continuing to have limited access to Illinois practices? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of one of those things that everyone scratched their head because um, Matt Lubick, his former offensive coordinator, said, yeah, we prepared for both even and odd man fronts. Um, So I don't think – it was kind of one of those what moments, and you just didn't really understand me. I I give Illinois a lot of credit. I mean, they they just out – they they just out-schemed Nebraska. They had good schemes in place. Um, and you know, the, the way they, I remember they, the way they were running the ball in that game, they were running the short side of the field on kind of mismatches where they felt like Nebraska had weaker players on the field and they stayed away from, um, the, uh, the field side, the, 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 the bigger side of the field where Jojo Doman and Cam Taylor Britt, their two NFL players were, and those guys hardly were involved in that game because Brett Bielema just kept running short side runs and, um, you know, they just chewed up that game and, and Nebraska unraveled. I mean, Let's face it, Nebraska, if Cam Taylor-Britt's interception stands, Nebraska goes up big at halftime at that point. But instead, a late hit, a roughing the passer, took away an interception that changed that entire game. The Nebraska fumbled before halftime, Illinois scored. I mean, that, that was the details, the small things that matter. I mean, Nebraska was in a position to take control of that game, and they, they – were their own worst enemy with roughing the passer, late hit penalties, and other things. I mean, Cam Taylor Britt fielded a punt in the end zone 
And, you know, that led to, you know, a safety because he threw the ball out of bounds. I mean, there's just moments like that in that game that derailed that game. It had nothing to do with the Illinois scheme that they were running. Um, Nebraska was their own worst enemy that day in Champaign, and Brett Bielema was a great coach, and he took advantage of their mistakes. I want to zoom out, if we can, Sean, to the all the realignment, everything that's going on. And is the Lincoln community in some ways just kind of kicking their feet up and watching all this and eating some popcorn because 10 years ago Nebraska made this shift into the Big Ten. I know the football success hasn't been there like they wanted, but yet as the Big 12 kind of teeters a little bit here and Texas and Oklahoma leave, is there a feeling in Lincoln like, that was a good move? Yeah, it's it's worked out. I mean, this is year 12 in the Big Ten for Nebraska, and you know their first six years in this conference, they were pretty much a consistently ranked team that won nine or more games in the last five have been where they are. They haven't gone to a bowl game. So, you know, you've gotten two tails of Nebraska in their 11 years at the Big Ten. And um, unfortunately, you remember what's happening now, and it's been the last five years. But you think about it, if Nebraska in 2009 didn't look like they were on their way back, because in 2009, Nebraska looked like a team heading to top 10 status uh, with Endomic and Sue and those teams, that made them very attractive to the Big Ten at that moment. And then it paved the way for the invite. And then in 2010, Nebraska was ranked inside the top five. That's 2010 was the only week Nebraska has been ranked in the top five since the 2001 season, one week. So like they were, they, they really struck at the right time. And um, when they headed into the big 10, they were, they were picked to win the big 10 in 2011, their opening year in this conference. Um, and obviously uh, Russell Wilson in Wisconsin won the league that first year um, when Nebraska came in, but um, yeah, you think about just the timing, and if it was now, and they were in this position of being a Big 12 member, where would they be? Uh, they are still very attractive. They they pull extremely high television ratings. I I, I read something. Um, Nebraska still is the 12th most watched team in college football, um, even with the record last year. So people do watch Nebraska football, uh, but how long can that sustain if they don't win? I mean, there's there's just a loyalty amongst this fan base. It's the smallest populated state in the Power Five, along with West Virginia. Um, but Nebraska, you know, draws more viewers than, than a lot of these teams in much more populated areas. I mean, it's really an anomaly uh, when you look at Husker fans and the support this program has, considering how rough these last five years have been, that that stadium still remains full. I mean, there's not another team, arguably, in the world that would get 90,000 fans in a stadium uh, with the way Nebraska's lost the last few years. It's funny that you mentioned that 2010 season because that was referenced heavily in a, a recent Better Call Saul episode. So that was a, a nice trip down memory <laughs> that was lane. Fun. I watched that. Yeah, I, I, that was. Uh, they were talking about Politi and Martinez. And, yeah. You know that that Oklahoma State game that Martinez bounced back. That was arguably one of Martinez's best games. I mean, they went into Stillwater and, and he lit up Mike Gundy, um, and that was a top ten Oklahoma State team. Crazy, crazy. But along with that, with USC and UCLA coming in, and you mentioned the early success of Nebraska, I just kind of wonder what has changed there over the 12 years, especially as it pertains to football. The fan engagement is still there, but are they still getting the national presence and the players that they once were when they were in the Big 12 and it was more the Nebraska heyday? Yeah, I mean, that's debatable. I mean, I think the bar of this league is, if anything, has gotten stronger. I mean, I saw Jerry DiNardo made that tweet this week that 
he saw like five teams, and I think it was Illinois, Nebraska, Northwestern, Rutgers, and Maryland. He said Maryland was the most impressive team he had saw. If anything, that just tells you how good this league is now, top to bottom. There are no – when everybody gets these big paychecks from the conference now, there are really no excuses. I mean, you have all the money and resources to be competitive, and the bar has been raised. Where before, when Nebraska first joined this league and teams like Illinois and Purdue – you know, they, they could play subpar and win. Now, if you play subpar, Brett Pielema's going to drill you. I mean, Greg Schiano's going to beat you. Like these, This league is just so deep top to bottom, and you know it almost resembles more the NFL um, where lower teams can win if, if they execute because the coaching is so good in this league, and the money really does make a difference because you can offer amenities and support for your players and coaches in terms of pay that allow you to get the most out of what you invest in. And I think this league has really changed in that area the last five to seven years. Sean Callahan, Husker Online. Are you making the trip over the pond to Dublin? Uh, Yeah, I will be heading out August 22nd um, with a group of about seven of us. There's four guys I work with, and the television station I work with is going to be doing live coverage out there for the week. So it's going to be really fun going out to Dublin. Um, I, I was in... Dublin in December. I can't. I went out on a, on a promotional marketing trip uh, with the game organizer. So I, this will be my second trip out there since December, and um, they're expecting ten to twelve thousand Nebraska fans to travel over for the game. So it should be a lot of fun. I hear there's some good beverages there. You might want to check them out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, I will find those, and um, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see how this team responds and. Um, I, I think we a lot of people didn't know if we'd ever get to this point, um, playing a game overseas with what's gone on in the world with crisis in Ukraine and COVID and other issues. Uh, but we're going to get there, and it's going to be really fun for the people that make the trip out there. Enjoy it, my friend, and appreciate you spending time with us, and we will see you October 29th when Illinois travels to Lincoln. All right. Hey, thanks, Scott. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it, and let me know if you guys ever need anything else. That is Sean Callahan, Husker Online, covering Nebraska. And they will get to go to Dublin, and we are not jealous. Okay, we're a little jealous. But you know, Nebraska has corn in it, and corn is where the Field of Dreams is being played. Mm -hmm. That's baseball, and that brings us to what I promised, tickets to the White Sox Mm -hmm. on Saturday. And it's not in the Field of Dreams this year. But it's still a nice time there, guaranteed rate field. If you would like a four-pack of tickets that we can uh, send to you electronically, be caller number 3 to 217-356-9397. 217-356-9397. Caller number 3 will enjoy a night at the ballpark thanks to the White Sox radio network. And we have more for you right after this. Thanks to those who gave it a shot. Only one could be a winner. Gary Johnson is headed to see the White Sox. Thanks for chiming in. All that tried. We'll we'll give it a few more away here before season is out. White Sox at home. They fell today on the road to Kansas City, by the way. Michael Massey had a hit. It was initially scored an error. Last night's ball game, a ball ate him up. It was scored a hit. 
and later changed to be an error. And that will uh, satisfy the national announcers that were on last night and were really upset by the scoring decision. <laughs> anyway, uh, White Sox lose that one 5-3. Cardinals lose to the Rockies 8-6. to I want to bring you some audio from Aaron Henry, Illini defensive backs coach. Uh, this is just good stuff. I, I, I really appreciate how Aaron Henry was willing to be as open as he can about the ins and outs of uh, some of the ins and outs on the secondary. I chopped this up a little bit here to for time. It goes about five minutes, but good insight. It starts with his thoughts on the transfer from Minnesota State, Terrell Jennings, and he's high on him. He's probably one of the smartest, if not the smartest, player I've been around. You know, I had a chance um, when I was in college to be around Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson picked up the playbook, um, officer playbook, in like a month. Right, I would say I would say Terrell picked up our defensive playbook in about a week and a half. Um, w- once he did get here on campus, before um, before we actually started fall camp, we met for like two hours a day. I, I would probably venture to say right now in, in my room, in terms of like knowing the defense, he probably knows it just from a mental aspect better than anybody in the room. He he is that smart, you know. Um, Football don't work out for him. We had a conversation. I'm like, dude, you should be a coach. I mean, he, he, he's smart. He's a, he's a bright young man. When you go into a season with maybe a known commodity like that with Witherspoon, just, what's the comfort level as you know, a coach where you got maybe one spot to fill, yeah. but you know you've got Spoon on one side? Yeah, I think it makes you, I think it makes you somewhat comfortable, but, um, um, again, offenses can, can throw away from him. You know what I'm saying? It's not like he's playing in the middle of the field every play, you know. Um, so I, I like to have two of those guys, and I think – um, between Taz, Terrell, um, Tyler Strain, and Tyson Rooks, um, I think they're all pushing, trying to push for that that second lockdown spot, you know. And I, th- I tell guys all the time, you know, um, I think especially in this conference, you need four legitimate corners in, in a conference that's going to force corners to tackle, you know. Um, I know Spoon missed a couple games last year. Taz missed a couple games last year um, just because they couldn't hold up, you know what I mean? So we're going to need other guys to, to, to be able to step in and fill those roles if that would happen again. And so – Everybody got to be ready, man, because um, I, I can guarantee you by the time the season's over, all of those guys are going to play a significant amount of snaps. Do you have any conversations with those guys that, hey, maybe people won't be as eager to throw Devin's way? Like, you, you might get tested early on in the season. Absolutely. And I, I think – I don't think Devin, as talented as Devin is, I don't think he's reached a point to where teams are like, we're going to throw away from him. Like, he's talented, but I don't think he's reached that level yet. I think he can 100%, but throughout his career, right, he's had some balls caught on him. He's contested some really good balls, but um, um, I, I still think he, ha- he, has, he has room to develop and be that elite corner, not just on this team, but in this conference and in this country, because I think that's what he wants. Brett said one of the best things that happened in the scrimmage Monday was balls got thrown over the top, and we, we learned a lesson. Oh, 100%. So, so I always challenge guys, and this is probably a, um, a note that all young DB coaches can take. I learned this when I was a young DB coach. I can remember my first day with Chris Ash. Balls were getting thrown over guys' heads, and they were getting beat, right? Chris Ash told me, don't yell at them. Coach them, right? And so I think um, we had a lot of deep balls thrown at us, but I think you have to coach through those moments because for, for, for a corner, right, for a DB, right, it takes a lot of confidence to line up again, right, if, especially if he gets beat for a touchdown. It takes a lot. Of, you got to have a very, very short memory. And so um, um, I want our offense to throw the ball down the field because it's only going to benefit us when the season comes. But um, 
in those moments when they do happen, right? It's not a yell fest, scream fest, you suck, right? We can't give up the deep ball. Like, that's obvious, right? It's a, it's a, well, what happened at the line of scrimmage? Because oftentimes, right, when guys get beat, right, at least on a vertical ball, the line of scrimmage had something to do with it. Now, sometimes guys make great catches, and that happens. One-hand catch, it happens, right, on ESP and all that good stuff. But if it's a technique thing, that's something that we try to clean up on the daily. And it's even better when I can get them in a film room and watch it. And we just got to self-correct. We got to self-correct on the fly on the field. And then we got to correct once we get in a position meeting room. But, you know, I wouldn't want it no other way because I think sometimes – when last year we didn't get as many deep balls during this phase and during this time period. And so guys got kind of confident and felt like, oh, they were the man. But then we got them in the game, and, and I don't know if they responded to them as well as I would have liked. And so the fact that we're seeing them a lot more, um, I think it's going to be beneficial for us um, once the season starts. There's a lot of good quarterbacks on the schedule this year. Does that come up in your preparation right now? And Do you dive into any of these guys specifically? So there's not just a lot of good quarterbacks, right? I think um, – um, there was a ranking that came out um, of the top 50 duo receivers, um, and I think we're going to face six of them this year. So not only are they really good quarterbacks, right, they're really good wideouts as well. All right, so they got, they got a combination of, of things that some of these teams are going to play that they have. And so not only am I teaching them about quarterback play and recognition of things, but I'm also trying to teach them about some of these wideouts, like how do they release versus press? Right. How do they release versus off man coverage and just like really, really trying to take these young men game to the next level? You know, they know the defense. They know the framework of the defense and how we function. Right. The next step is. All right. Well, because you know the defense, how is so and so all right going to attack us as a quarterback? Or how is so and so going to attack us at wide receiver? Right. And once they understand and fine tune those things, I think we'll be a, I think we can be as good as we um, good as we can be when the season is. That's some good stuff there from Aaron Henry. Yeah. I, I, I hats off to a coach that gives you something, not giving away anything to his opponents there, not ragging on guys, but saying this is where some things are need to get better. This is where things are going well, and some interesting stories in in between. Sounds like training camp is serving its purpose. So work out those kinks now, or as many as possible, and do it against Wyoming, and then regroup after that. But. Yeah, that, that defensive backfield, that's probably the, the biggest question marks outside of wide receiver and defensive line where, where you're trying to figure out where that depth is going to come from. Yeah, so. depth is a huge one. And you know that defensive backfield got burned in Virginia, and that was kind of uh. the, the change. After that, Ryan Walters came down to the sideline, and, and they started to do some different things defensively, and... That was the rest of the year. That was a pretty tight ship there defensively for Illinois. And by the way, Barry Lunny Jr. will be on the sideline. He says he likes interacting there. So another OC that will be – both coordinators, I I should say, will be sideline along with Brett Bielma. I like that. Yeah, I think it's a style thing. Um, But the response of the defense with Walters (laughs) moving down was really good. And I think it just gives you a hands-on – you, you could feel so distant up there. You yeah. Could, and, I could see that. And they've got so many coaches that, that if you need eyes up there, you can throw somebody else to, to give you that look because they've got guys on the staff that, that they trust for that sort of thing. And then, yeah, you get it straight from, from the man himself right there on the sideline. So good things there from Aaron Henry. Also got a chance today to talk with Sean Snyder, the new special teams coach. Uh, try to bring you some of that uh, tomorrow. Come back and we'll do our final thoughts on this edition of Sports Talk.
Back on Sports Talk, Bill Russell will have his number six jersey retired across the NBA. Money move. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which can can you imagine how much they're? Oh wait, no. I get. Did did LeBron switch back to 23 out in LA? Uh, I he, think he, he did. Uh, no, he he currently wears six. Yeah, money move. See, now they've got to reprint all new LeBron jerseys. All the LeBron fans got to go get new he, LeBron jerseys. Well, he he doesn't have to change. Oh, they're going to yeah. grandfather him in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Current current players including kind of like Mariano Rivera. Yeah, exactly. Christophe Porzingis, Alex Caruso, uh, Lou Williams are some of the players that wear six. Uh, Russell played for the Celtics, of course, all 13 years of his career and um, plans for honoring him in a separate and unique recognition on their uniforms are still in determined, uh, still being determined. Let's see. Baseball has 42. Yep. For Jackie Robinson, I didn't realize this. Wayne Gretzky's ninety nine is retired. I think across we, the league. Yeah, we talked about that. I think on Jack, Jackie Robinson Day or, or something like that. I think you were out on, on that, and I learned that. Yeah, ninety nine, forty two, and now six. And, and I think it, it obviously makes sense for Bill Russell and, and Jackie Robinson. And, and I don't know enough about hockey, but when you look at the numbers, I mean, Wayne Gretzky is the great one. So I, I can understand retiring his number 99, but uh, there there was a, a time when people wanted to retire the number 23 because of Jordan, but I, 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 don't, I don't see it. I think doing six because of everything that Bill Russell represents, both on, on and off the court, that's what makes it... Uh, significant enough to retire it but just because you were really good i don't know about retiring michael's number uh, yeah i mean don't forget your king hit 230 in double a <laughs> <laughs> first of all not my king <laughs> first of all i mean michael is the greatest player ever but some people disagree with that they're wrong but they would disagree <laughs> with that but gretzky the great one but he could be matched or overtaken at some point. Be and, very, very tough. Well, like, yeah, I understand that, but that's what happens in sports. Uh, somebody's great, and then somebody else comes along and is greater at some point. That's what you would think, and that's why Sidney Crosby got so much hype when he came in the league, and he had his concussion issues, which really kind of put a, put a damper on the, the second half of his career. But even still, with the stuff that Sidney was doing early on, it wasn't even close to the pace that, that Wayne did. And he played into his 40s. I know there's a lot of hockey guys that, that play that late, but I, I, we'll, we'll see if anybody ever breaks his points record. Is there Should there be an NFL guy, then, that it's, there's so many guys that were so great at different positions. You can't do that for a great one at certain position. But, you know, I guess a quarterback. But I, I like it better in a Bill Russell case or a Jackie Robinson. You were great, and you, in both cases, uh, basically broke ground as an African-American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and may, that's that's something to, to dig on with. NFL guys have done a whole lot off the field. I know they gave Walter Payton the Man of the Year award, so I don't know if 34 would be in the mix for I'd that. I'd be all right with that. But that's the the first one that comes to mind for me. I'm sure there's there's plenty of others. Thanks to Lauren Tate and Scott Ritchie and Sean Callahan for being part of the program. Joey Wright on the other side for us working things today. And 
Evan Kahn, my partner here in our number two. We're back tomorrow for some funky Friday. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Enjoy the Field of Dreams game, which is about to get going. This is News Talk 1400, 93.9 FM, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, Champaign Multimedia Group Station. Good night.